there's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. For tonight's first five, um, I want to start by saying, Greg, if you've got this, I don't have any sound on my microphones, and so I'm not sure we're getting sound off to Facebook Live. So hopefully we got sound tuned, corrected over there in the booth. Uh, Debbie George Addis and America Can We Talk. So let me just start with this story. Uh, you know, our first five tonight, I always hit on top story of the week. I'm not going to talk about how Mueller, again, found some other reason to uh, add an additional indictment, additional charge against Paul Manafort. Yes, he did. And maybe there's validity to it. But this is, again, has absolutely nothing at all to do with um, with with uh, President Trump, with the Russian. Um, yeah, actually, I'm Greg. I'm going to tell you quickly. There's no sound on Facebook Live. OK, so if we've got to hit a button in there, if we can. Um, so anyway, going forward on this, I want to be sure we get the story straight on um, on Mueller. This uh, indictment of Manafort had nothing at all to do with the uh, alleged non-collusion between uh, Donald Trump and the Russians, which apparently uh, was alleged never happened. Having said that, I do want to talk about something. I want to give some great credit to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who I have criticized more than once on this show about letting their... We got sound on Facebook Live, I'm going to guess. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, this um, this incredible time, and President Trump having started, began off serving in January 2017, and all this time, it has been... He's been pretty much without a functional... Um, Attorney General. He has been, when Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russian investigation and uh, the appointment of Robert Mueller came along, and honest to goodness, this has held up this administration in countless ways. And I've criticized Jeff Sessions. He should have, if he had to recuse himself, given the immensity and the complexity of the uh, investigation, he should have stepped down. Having said that, he did some great things this week, and I want to give credit. The Department of Justice actually brought an indictment against a true leaker, an important, important development. As you probably noticed, this entire Mueller investigation has been just riddled with leaks, always to the detriment of President Trump, always to the detriment of his team. And finally, in, in what was a, apparently a great investigation by the FBI, uh, there was a charge made, an indictment brought against someone named James Wolf. He was a 30-year veteran staffer of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And he wasn't just a low-life staffer. By the time he retired, he was the, he was the Senate Intelligence Committee security director. Access to tons of stuff. He was, I think, 57 when he retired. He's 57 now. He was involved in a three-year uh, romantic relationship with a woman about 30 years his junior she was an intern like 22 when she started this affair with him she's working her way up through various um, news sources and ends up finally she's at the new york times so this young woman and i mean young woman 30 years younger than james wolf which isn't a crime but you know (laughs) three-year relationship these two engaged in multiple multiple leaks having the uh, James Wolf employed by the Senate Intelligence Committee feeding her stories. And then uh, and and there was uh, on various days of extreme importance of of the stories unfolding about Donald Trump, uh, you know, just 
It was like 89 text messages in one day. Okay, I've been married to my husband 33 years, and we might text four times a day at the most. I mean, this is one day, 89 texts back and forth. Um, and obviously, they're, and they're planning things, uh, what they were doing. So this gentleman, uh, and I use that term loosely, uh, was feeding stories always, as I point out, always anti-Trump always to make the Trump team look bad. And also in this indictment, there was just, there are descriptions of other people involved who were also the recipients of leaks by this guy. And it appears you can, from the activity described, the, uh, the um, speculation is the other people involved in receiving these leaks include reporter number one, likely Manu Raju of CNN, number two, uh, this girlfriend of his, uh, Ali Watkins of the New York Times, number three, likely Mariana Sotomayor of NBC, and number four, Brian Ross of ABC. All of them are, are uh, accused or they are described in the indictment as having also received information from this guy. And I want to yeah, I want to hit just this point because we always, this is a short segment of the show, but, you know, there is a, a mystique around reporters that they have an absolute right to privacy. They never have to reveal their sources. They never have to answer questions. They are, if you just ask them, above the law. That's how they see it. So there's a great piece by Andrew McCarthy. It's up at our website, americacanwetalk.org, called Leak Investigations, Journalists and Double Standards. He makes a stellar point, which is this. The media always thinks, I don't have to reveal my sources. This entire just undermining President Trump has been filled with stories in left-wing media, New York Times, Washington Post, undisclosed sources, unnamed sources, people high up in the in the administration, un, undisclosed sources. And the media always acts like they don't have to answer any questions. But actually, there is not any such thing. There is no privilege that protects them entirely from having to divulge your sources. There is, on the other hand, the same media doing this kind of reporting sources thinks that Trump should sit down with Mueller and answer questions like they have a more of a right to protect information, keep it private in their their high fluting job as reporters than Donald Trump does as president of this country. They're so wrong. I'm Debbie George. This is America. Can we talk? We come back. We're going to talk about G7, and the tariffs. Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. 
With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I just love doing this show every week. My, this show, America Can We Talk, all my speaking, my writing, whatever I do is always dedicated to trying to speak up for America, to preserve the extraordinary idea that is America. And even though I was not a Trump fan during the primaries, I have to say, as I watched Donald Trump conduct America's affairs on the, in the G7 summit that just ended, as well as he's heading into the negotiations right now. In fact, he is already in North Korea, uh, get, or excuse me, in Singapore, uh, preparing for the um, meeting that will happen with, um, we hope it's going to happen with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. But I want to talk about G7 for a second. And don't think this, you know, I got to tell you that trade and tariff policy, I do understand it sounds to some people kind of boring or inconsequential or, or, or something, just you know, it's about trade. It's not really about the culture and fabric of America, but it really, really is. And I want to talk about it for a moment. So at the G7 summit, which just happened um, in Canada, there was a uh, fretting, fretting, fretting ahead of time 
uh, in fact, from the time that President Trump won the presidency, fretting that he was too uh, brusque, he was too demanding, he was too um, aggressive or confrontational, and that you have to understand how to work with things like this. You have to be gentle at G7 and all these other summits. You have to just use a presidential tone. What, what Donald Trump, he owned that G7 he, he was the boss. He owned it. He went in there and basically he didn't say bad words and raise his voice, but he basically said America for the last, you know, however many years. And he even said in a, in a press conference today, and I don't have this clip, but I have another one clip coming in a second. I don't have this one clip, but he said in response to a CNN uh, reporter's question, you know, I'm not blaming these other countries. We've had unfair trade deals for America for decades. Trump says, I'm not blaming the other countries. In fact, when I point this out to them, they kind of nod along going, yeah, we know. He said, I'm blaming past administrations on both sides. We let America be walked all over and taken advantage of. All he is saying is, we're going to put this back on track, our trade relations, our tariffs, to be fair to America, to be fair. And you know, folks, if you think this is about all trade and it's really boring and consequential, what it has to do with, is whether America has jobs. I mean, in part, the reason we have lost jobs in America is because we have bad deals with other countries. So it's a better deal to manufacture somewhere else and ship the goods back here. Donald Trump is working toward this is a basic, you know, food on the table, American apple pie issue to get trade back on track, to stop having America always be the sucker and the loser in some of these uh, trade deals. I want to tell you something. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I'll hold it up. I'll put it up on our website later. But a friend of mine got this data off the World Trade Organization website. Not, this is not some right wing, this is the World Trade Organization. When Donald Trump says that our tariffs, America's tariffs are low and our tariffs compared to other countries are high, so we're always at the losing end of the tariff deal, he's right. This is, I don't know if you can read this, if you can't on Facebook Live, I'm going to tell you what it says. But it basically, our average tariff in America is 348 Average tariff, South Korea, 13.9. Average tariff, Mexico, 7.0. Canada, 408. European Union, 5.16. I'm just telling you that all that Donald Trump is right. And he spoke after the, uh, after the uh, G7 to reporters as he was going to head off on to uh, fly over, actually directly there, to Singapore, Singapore to uh, get going in the negotiations uh, on, with North Korea. So, uh, Greg, if you have clip one, and we'll play clip one, Donald Trump after G7. We tackled a variety of issues and opportunities facing our nations. At the top of the list was the issue of trade. Very important subject because the United States has been taken advantage of for decades and decades, and we can't do that anymore. We had extremely productive discussions on the need to have fair and reciprocal, meaning the same. People can't charge us 270 percent, and we charge them nothing. That doesn't work anymore. You know, that was a a quote just as he was leaving G7. But among the many things that came out from this G7 summit was that the world had become, especially under with eight years under President Obama, but even before that, the world had begun to think that America would always kind of premised on the idea that America is the most abundant, the most prosperous country in the world. So somehow trade deals should be unfair to us. That is the underlying thought in many people looking at trade is, well, America, you're so prosperous. What do you got to go slapping tariffs on? 
But over decades, what has happened is we've lost our manufacturing base. We've lost jobs. We have goods costing us too much money. And when he said that 270 number, by the way, I'm not sure if it's exactly that, but at some point, America trading with India, I mean, I I printed out, it's actually an 18-page document, and I promise I'm not going to read it out loud, but endless, I mean, the other thing about tariffs, to be really clear why it gets complex and people get tired of trying to understand it, is that it isn't as though tariffs are just a flat number, so you could list all the countries in the world and put a number next to them of average tariffs, all sorts of trade barriers, uh, and then individual one-off deals with some country or some cluster of countries, it's always very complicated. But at the core, India has, in the past, had very, very high tariffs. And so basically it's hard for us to go to bring things, to sell things to their country, which is, you know, they could make that decision. But part of what Donald Trump is saying is we're not going to keep on agreeing that America always has to be in the losing end. America doesn't always have to be the one that is, you know, the, the, I don't like the word sucker exactly, but the one who's saying, you know, we'll sacrifice, we want to help your economies. And I had a friend sent me a Facebook message, or a uh, messenger, anyway, message, making the point that right after World War II, there was a lot of desire in the world to try to help up the help build up the economies of many of the Western European countries that had been just obviously devastated by World War II, and kind of a a sympathy thought or just a just an understanding that you know maybe we have to be a little bit um, more generous than we would otherwise to help these countries get back on their feet. And so maybe that justified, you know, America having tariff rates that weren't particularly fair to us, but it was going to help Europe rebuild. Okay, World War II is a long time ago. We're done with that. We're done with that idea. And I think that, you know, uh, the other thing, I kind of commentary on all this, I want to posit is I've done, um, I, 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 I host this radio show. I, I substitute host in other radio shows. I, I do I do Fox News Radio, political analysis. Um, so I end up talking with a lot of people all the time about politics. There has been a notion within the even the elite economic world that you know the people who are really they are experts economically and they provide advice to Congress. They provide uh, advice in the, in the newspapers. They're pundits. They were very, very worried about Donald Trump and his America first thinking that somehow if he brought America first actually into a, a you know, if they, he translated the feeling of America first, the concept into policy, that it would create unreasonable policy, that we would just have some, you know, um, we would have irrational claims. He's going to blow it all up. And then when he began talking about tariffs, uh, raising tariffs, that um, there was a quick, you know, people said, but what about Smoot-Hawley? Everyone knows what happened. The Smoot-Hawley tariffs decades ago did, they they were massive. They were were harmful to our economy. They hurt America's economy. They hurt recovery from from the Depression. They were, they were very, very bad. And so people quickly went to, oh, my gosh, he doesn't know his history. He's going to do smooth holly all over again. But, you know, honestly, President Trump is not, you know, he's very shrewd in how he deals with our our friends, our allies, and our not allies, our, our enemies in the world. He's very shrewd. And he's not just coming in and clobbering the world with, you know, massive tariffs imposed by us on things coming in here so that it hurts other economies. He's just re- uh, adjusting the balance so that America's economy, so jobs can come back here, manufacturing can, can come back. But the, what I've noticed in the last, I don't know, month or two months is that even those people who are first, these kind of experts, 
who were first saying, my gosh, Donald Trump's going to ruin everything, and he doesn't understand how tariffs work. He doesn't understand what a mess he could make. He can't be doing this. They've slowly started to acknowledge that actually what's happening is that he is doing a good job. He is being specific about the countries that are problems. He's being specific about the changes that need to happen. He's talking more about one-on-one negotiations because that allows America to adjust and respond to bad conduct. And I even, I'll tell you, even with respect to China, I think President Trump has played this China situation, uh, you know, just magnificently. He has not been willing to let China's well-known ongoing theft of America, uh, America's intellectual property, theft of copyright, uh, the tech transfer thing that happens when when uh, Chinese companies get involved with American companies, insist on getting into all of the, uh, the uh, technology that the company has and they steal it. All of that bad actor stuff by China has been tolerated by previous administrations with kind of a, well, we don't like it. We might really, this time we might file a claim at the World Trade Organization. Trump is just saying, no more. You're going to stop doing this. It's not okay. It hurts America. And I'm going to stick up for America. So I really urge you to um, don't get too worried yet about what Donald Trump is doing uh, in, on trade. I think he's hanging there pretty well. And um, when we come back, I'll play one more clip. Actually, I want, I'll play it when we come back. We're going to talk next about Austin. And but what something else that happened at G7, so come right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. 
Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love that music, by the way. We have great music on this show. That is Krista Branch. Uh, it just it's, the whole uh, feel of her uh, music, the whole message of, you know, can you hear us now? The people speaking up and being and being we the people in a country that was founded on the idea of we the people choose government and government is supposed to listen to us. So love our music. Okay, back to the G7. So I really do think, um, I heard someone use the expression that Donald Trump was the boss. I mean, the media is trying to, uh, you know, whine and, and wring their hands and say, oh my gosh, you know, Donald Trump didn't understand about G7. He didn't know. He owned it. He went there and said, you know what, I want, in fact, what he ended up saying was, uh, I want no trade, no, no tariffs, no trade barriers. I'm for free trade. And so a media person, one of the headlines, tried to mock him saying, oh, here he goes saying we're going to raise tariffs on you because you're raising them on us. And yet now you're saying you want no tariffs, to which he basically said, yes, when everyone agrees, yes, I can go with no tariffs. I can go with no trade barriers. But in the meantime, I'm not going to let America be walked all over. This attitude you never heard out of the lips of at least the past four presidents of this country, maybe even longer. So one of the things that was discussed at G7 was refugees. I mean, this group is basically there to talk about trade policy, but there was another clip I wanted to play of Donald Trump talking, leaving G7 about refugees. This is clip two. We also discussed the issue of uncontrolled migration and the threat that it poses to both national security and other, other groups and countries and our citizens and quality of life. We're committed to addressing the migration challenge by helping migrants to remain and prosper in their own home countries. 
Okay, that was a huge thing to say, and it's amazing what happened in this world just today in Western Europe relating to how the Western European countries, England and France and Italy and Austria and other ones, are dealing with, as we the issue we've talked about many times on this show, dealing with the massive influx of Islamic refugees from Northern Africa, from the Middle East, who are not in the slightest interested in assimilating into Western culture. And the havoc and we've had, as you know, because we talk about them on the show all the time, you've, we've had you know horrific attacks by Islamic jihadists, leaving aside the attacks, which by themselves are enough to be a major problem. Leaving the attacks aside, we've had just the just the uh, taking over of Western European culture by people bringing culture born and bred out of Islam. And I will say there are plenty. I'm sure there are plenty of Muslim refugees throughout Europe who don't misbehave. But the Islamic, the, the massive Islamic influx of refugees into Western Europe has created major problems. So to start with an update on one story that we, were, uh, we talked about in the past, uh, Tommy Robinson, who is a British person who was filming outside of a courthouse. He was in the street filming as the uh, uh, accused uh, Muslim rape gangs, individuals accused of being part of Muslim rape gangs, were being walked into court. He's filming. He's not talking. He's not doing anything. But he was arrested. And because he was in violation of a previous order from a previous arrest, telling him to stay away from the story, um, he is in prison for 13 months. There was a massive protest in England yesterday, a massive protest. It took place outside of the uh, prison where he's being held, as well as outside of the court where he was uh, where he was filming. And the, this is bringing out international uh, protests. But the protest in England uh, involved the uh, Dutch um, prime minister, uh, the Dutch uh, member of parliament, Geert, and his last name is W-I-L-D-E-R-S. It turned out it's pronounced Wilders, but okay. Dutch Member of Parliament, Geert Wilders, outspoken, trying to warn the world, you need to take charge of your country and be in charge of your culture. So he came and spoke, massive, massive protests, you know, chants of free Tommy Robinson. So that went on today, today in London. So this is all happening, you know, in England, and we're going to get to France and Austria and Italy in a moment. But today in London was Al-Quds Day, A-L-Q-U-D-S. Al-Quds Day, it's a term made up by uh, an, an Islamic imam uh, referring to uh, the uh, what they want. That's what their name is for Jerusalem. So they there was a massive, massive protest um, in England as it was last year. Today was the annual protest. So there are people in London who are Islamic refugees in London marching in the streets in favor of of one of the um, extreme um, Islamic terror groups, waving signs, um, waving signs against Jews. Uh, the leader of last year's rally, uh, Quds Rally, Nazim Ali, he is uh, he is a director um, of the Islamic Human Rights Commission. But the, they're carrying, they're waving ban- banners in London, in London, saying, "We are all Hezbollah." We are all Hezbollah. These are and in the thousands marching Muslims in the streets of London today. Um, and then they, they, they actually had a Jewish man who is confined to a wheelchair tried to block this march. It's an annual march that happens in London. I want you to picture this happening in your town. 
where you had we have Muslim refugees emboldened enough to march in a get a parade permit march waving signs supporting a terrorist group and wanting to bring that terrorist group to your country wanting to say we are here and this is our country we're taking over that's what the message of this protest is this al-quds protest is about decide this pro-hezbollah terror march happens annually in london and this is because and this is one reason why tommy robinson and all of his followers are so upset is because england has failed to stand up for its culture it has failed the police have failed the media the government the local town councils have failed to stand up for western culture and an emboldened uh, islamic extremists emboldened jihadists have no fear marching and waving signs in london calling for support for Hezbollah and calling for killing all the Jews and 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 kill and ending Israel. Okay. But there was a big step forward today in another area in Europe dealing with this extremely challenging uh, problem. And, you know, I will say this is a very challenging problem. And part of what happens, in addition to people uh, being afraid of the terrorists and their conduct, being afraid of the, the uh, Muslim rape gangs that are now part of most Western European countries, but part of what uh, people are afraid of is if they speak up, they will be belittled, mocked, maligned, scorned, silenced. And so they don't. So Austria, the country of Austria, actually announced this week they are shutting down mosques and ejecting imams. They have a law in Austria. They passed a law in the year 2015 in Austria, uh, essentially saying that they are not going to, um, that they require the uh, refugees there to begin to, that they, they want to prevent the development of parallel societies. And so these mosques that are being shut down are ones where they have determined that the imam is teaching terrorism, is encouraging terrorism, is justifying jihad, justifying violence. Austria is shutting down mosques, I believe it's 12 mosques, and they are ejecting something in the range of 50 imams, telling them they have to leave. You can't live in this country, is their message. You cannot live in this country and continue to teach people that they are permitted to engage in violence on on behalf of Islam. So, of course, the country of Turkey, Erdogan, who's now being referred to as a jihadist government, oh, that was another thing, part of the Austrian law to try to protect their country. Um, They have this law that they described it as their attempt to prevent the development of parallel societies. They said imams and mosques cannot bring in money, cannot receive money from Islamic organizations or entities from any other country in the world. They're trying to say, if you want to have Islam in Austria, it has to be peaceful. So that law has been, and there's, of course, widespread protests. How dare they kick out people who are encouraging jihad? So Austria is speaking up. Um, and then in Italy, Italy has a newly elected leader who's saying, you know, uh, we're, we're done with all of this uh, problem of Islamic refugees causing trouble. He, In fact, he said, this is Italy's new government. This is their new um Interior Minister Matteo Salvini said on Monday, Italy's new government, the party is over for migrants. Italy will no longer be Europe's refugee camp. He's telling them, you can't keep coming here uh, to this country. We're not going to be, you know, the the, the receiver of uh, the Europe's uh, entire, we're not going to be Europe's refugee um, camp. He, they're going to deport as many as half a million migrants, and they're also going to work with uh, the European Union renegotiating various of their treaties. 
And then, so that was, and you know, this is, I'm saying all this to say, I think that Europe is about 10 years ahead of America in terms of this problem. They have had such an influx of Islamic refugees who, and, and they have, they weren't on guard. They weren't awake to the threat posed to their countries by people coming in and saying they want to bring Sharia. They want to bring their Islamic supremacism. They want to bring their their um, desires and, and kind of country they wanted and that Western Europe was going to have to give up Western civilization. And so Western Europe is waking up. We have more on this, but I got to zip off and tell you because in the next segment, the show just goes by so fast every week. This next segment, we have a guest joining us. I'm just very, very excited about him. Congressman Dave Bratt, who is a stellar Freedom Caucus guy. He was actually in Dallas this week, and I uh, taped an interview with him. So we're going to play that interview, and I'll tell you more about him. So come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. 
Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Okay, welcome back. This is Debbie George Addis. Okay, so this past week, Congressman Dave Bratt was in Dallas. We actually put on a fundraiser for him. He is a congressman from the 7th District of Virginia. He's a member of the Freedom Caucus. He's the one who happened to defeat Eric Cantor. He didn't happen to. He worked like crazy and defeated Eric Cantor, the then sitting, I think he was majority leader. He was in the House leadership um, in a primary, a shocking uh, primary. He's a stellar guy. His background is both in... um, uh, you know, he has a theological background. He has a master's in theology, I think, from Princeton. He's got been an economics professor. He's a student of American history. He's just an all, um, all-around great guy. We're going to play the interview in one second. The one advanced thing I want to tell you is what he's talking about, about this discharge petition, the effort to get a, an immigration bill out on the floor of the House, um, for uh, circumvent the committee, circumvent the House leadership, and force a vote on the floor. The Republicans, enough Republicans have caved to the Democrat uh, mob that that is going to happen this Tuesday unless uh, they, the, the Republicans can, can come up with a bill that everyone get behind. So what you're about to hear is, is going to happen on Tuesday. So if you can take it away, Greg. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I had the great pleasure this week of having a direct conversation, in-person conversation, with Congressman Dave Brad, who happened to be visiting Dallas, Texas. Just so grateful I had the opportunity to ask me a few questions. So, Dave Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be on, Debbie. Thank you. So, I'm sure you're thinking, Congressman Brad, I know that name. Dave Bratt represents the 7th District of Virginia, United States Congress, elected first in 2014, and he is one of the outspoken members of the uh, Freedom Caucus, which I want him to tell you about in a moment. But before we get to that, I want, if you would, just share with the listeners your professional um, background. Yeah, so it's kind of been a zigzag. I majored in business in college at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and then uh, worked at Arthur Anderson in Detroit, Chicago for a little bit, uh, then felt the call and went to Princeton Seminary. And so you should have seen the partner's faces at Arthur Anderson. That was a funny one, right? <laughs> and so I uh, headed off to seminary. I was going to teach systematic theology. And then while I was there, turns out systematic anything has to include the economy. And so the folks, so while I was there, I had a mentor who wrote a book on economics and ethics uh, in the same book. And that wasn't a punchline uh, back then. Now it's a joke, unfortunately. And he was the pastor, a fairly liberal guy at, for uh, Bill Clinton. 
at uh, Wesley Seminary. I went down on a uh, political semester there and so got interested and got the bug, went and did my PhD in economics at American University right next to Wesley, worked at the World Bank for a couple of years, the Army a couple of years, met my wife, uh, and then uh, was lucky enough uh, to move down to Ashland, Virginia, and I chaired the economics department, taught for 20 years, and I also ran the ethics minor program uh, the whole time as well. And then uh, eventually, about seven years prior to winning Congress, I was volunteering for the head of the Virginia Senate Finance Committee, education issues and all that. And so it's been quite a ride. And so uh, great to be here with all of you. What a wonderful and varied background. I mean, truly, theology and tying, I'm sure, and you're thinking occasionally to the founding of America and the founding of our country on Judeo-Christian ideas and then economics and embracing the value and virtues of free markets. Is a, I think it's a great background for a congressman. So you've been in Congress since 20, we were elected in 2014, and you're part of the Freedom Caucus, which many conservatives love. But I'd love to have you just tell our listeners what the Freedom Caucus is all about. Why are you part of it? Yeah, well, all of us run on the Republican platform, right? And so we all run to repeal Obamacare, to lower taxes for law and order, uh, for legal immigration, and just these deregulation, no crony stuff, no special favoritism, uh, no two classes of justice, one for the elites in D.C. and one for all the people back home. And uh, Jim Jordan's been saying for a few years, and he sums it up uh, as good as any of us, he says, uh, we, our our sole thesis and our purpose is to keep our promises to the American people. And in D.C., if you keep your promises, you stick out like a sore thumb. And you don't have to be. People make fun of us. They call us radical and right wingers and ultra conservatives. And, uh, you know, from my background, right, I went to Princeton Seminary and James Madison uh, is my idol. He went to roughly Princeton Seminary and then Adam Smith. Uh, also another, you know, uh, moral theologian to begin with that those two I follow and you can predict every single one of my votes uh, based on putting those two together. James Madison, Adam Smith, you can almost predict my votes. I hate to say by following JFK. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. He's considered right a right winger these days, I guess. So it just shows you how far the left has shifted. Right. Uh, JFK used to know if you want to get the economy moving, uh, lower tax rates and federal government revenues will go up. And he was not ashamed of his faith, and he was not afraid of a strong national defense. And you just paint that picture, and it, it, the press is just you know distorting everything. I think you all know that they're listening in here. Well, it is interesting on the Freedom Caucus. I've often had the thought, it's kind of parallel to one of the uh, cash lines I say on my show, which is Texas is what America is supposed to be. <laughs> the Freedom Caucus is what the Republican Party is really supposed to be. So ha- what happens in Washington? Why? Or, or, what do you think the purpose of the Freedom Caucus is in Congress? Is it to just to vote as a block? Is it to push the agenda back toward the platform? What is it? Yeah, well, uh, I always say follow the money, right? So if you look at the budget, uh, Trump won on draining the swamp. Bernie was winning on draining the swamp, right? Until Hillary rigged it against him. He was an outsider coming in, and that scared the daylights out of the folks who bank on, on sharing $4 trillion in the budget every year. And so that's the major piece that if you want to follow in its simplest terms, and there's a lot of money who get favors for playing that game. And so the Freedom Caucus has a different uh, view of things. We think you design every bill in the best interest of the American people, whether it's the ag bill or the health care bill or the immigration bill or whatever bill you're talking about. Right. You just do good policy 
uh, that's free market oriented, that does not grow the federal government, that tries to move right the 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 idea of federalism is you want to take that four trillion and move it back down to the states and to the people. The the Constitution enumerates eighteen powers that should be held by the federal government. Uh, we've run through those uh, with a Mack truck. We've totally violated. Uh, the constitutional spirit. So we have huge heavy lifting. And I mean, you all know we have $21 trillion in debt and $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities, right, for Medicare and Social Security and all that, all the uh, mandatory entitlement programs. $100 trillion we've promised to pay to the kids that they will not see. And so it's not theoretical anymore, right? The bond market is going to have a hiccup one of these days. And we'll all say, uh, I knew that, and it'll be too late. We, we will get no joy out of being correct and and we know we are correct. Another issue been floating around the last few weeks is called the discharge petition, and it relates to what Congress is going to do related to the DACA, the Dreamers, which I know DACA is a subset of Dreamers, but all the, the festering around the immigration issue. And the, I want you, if you would, to explain to listeners what is this discharge petition? Is it something if you if you want strong immigration policy, are you for or against a discharge petition? Right. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's never happened uh, in all the years anybody's been here. So the discharge petition is a technical piece where 25 Republicans, if 25 sign the discharge petition, <clears throat> that means they can bring a bill to the floor over leadership, over the head of leadership. And so they've arranged uh, 25 Republicans to work with 200 Democrats and Steny Hoyer to achieve a liberal Democrat Party platform objective and not a Republican Party platform objective. And so the Republicans want the Goodlatte bill, <clears throat> which is 30 years of rational policy on immigration. It has E-Verify, so you have to hire legally. It ends chain migration. It moves toward a merit-based system. Uh, that's good for our labor markets. And uh, if you go the Democrat route, uh, what you end up getting will be some minimal uh, border enforcement in exchange for uh, about 10 million amnesty pathway to citizenship for 10 million people over a decade uh, to show the contrast. And that's never been vetted by the American people. And so the major point is the Goodlatte bill is the compromise bill. We already promised the Democrats we would take care of the 700,000 DACA kids. They'd have a pathway uh, out of the shadows into the labor market. And uh, so that compromise has been struck, but the Democrats say no to the compromise. And if you don't have the compromise bill and you just do a simple trade-off like the wall uh, for DACA, you'll have guaranteed the same exact DACA problem in about three to five years because you just sent a signal to the rest of the world, hey, once you make it in the USA, it's okay. And this DACA problem will never go away because the wall only solves probably you know 10 or 20% of the problem. 50% of the immigration problem is visa overstays. People come in, they're supposed to go back to their court date. They never do. They stay in the country, and there's no way uh, to track or find out what's going on. And so uh, if you pass the wrong policy that, by the way, Senator Barack Obama was in favor of E-Verify and these things back in 2005. So was Bill Clinton in his State of the Union. So was Barbara Jordan, the civil rights leader. When the Democrats used to care about the American worker and American wage rates and American citizens, now they've pivoted totally toward identity politics, et cetera, and uh, that's what you see in the news every day. So I want to confirm the discharge petition issue just to, to make clear that 
The discharge petition is an effort of a small band of Republicans to band together with the Democrats to override the Republican platform, to override the Republican objective of getting, uh, you may have immigration reform, but we on the Republican side are not supporting having the DACA and DREAMer groups simply get a a pathway to citizenship. And folks, if if you recall, we've talked about the Goodlatte Bill several times in the show. If you go to our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. We've written about it. It's a really great bill. It just simply summarizes uh, all of the simple, straightforward, conservative platform ideas for immigration. And it's exactly what we ought to be um, standing for. Okay, I want to quickly have another minute here. Sure. Uh, so we had the tax bill passed. Yep. Just, just how great is that? Oh, it's un- unbelievable. The uh, unemployment rates are at their all-time historic lows. African-American, Hispanic unemployment rates, all-time lows. Uh, record revenues coming into the federal coffers by lowering tax rates. Uh, the Democrats' heads are exploding. Uh, and it, the, the good news is it's showing up for everybody now, right? The left said this is just for elites or whatever. That's nonsense. The whole economy's moving. Everyone's hiring. Kids are getting jobs out of college. Multiple job offers. And uh, it's good news all around. And on, on that last immigration piece, if you want to go to DaveBrat.com, you can Google my, I was on Cavuto a couple times this week and explain uh, that in detail if you want to wrap your head around that uh, and get down in the weeds. If you're just tuning in, I hope you'll come back and listen to this interview on our YouTube channel, America Can We Talk, or right here on this Facebook page if you're watching on Facebook. But the last thing I want to mention is, so we obviously have fall elections this year, 2018 midterms, and Dave Bratt running for re-election from District 7, CD7 of Virginia. No primary opponent, but a really tough upcoming race against a Democrat. So if you want to support a great candidate who actually stands for the conservative values we talk about in this show all the time, I urge you to go to his website. It's Dave Bratt. I mean, yep. let me let him say it. DaveBratt.com? Yep, that's it. Dave Bratt, B-R-A-T, DaveBratt.com. I urge you to do that, folks. Honestly, this is one of the true fighters for the values we stand for. And Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk? Come back after our break. <laughs> 